Hello and welcome to the next of my series of studies in John's Gospel. One of the most difficult parts of being a Christian will be the times when we feel our faith is causing antagonism, is causing people to be angry. In the story we're following today, we read that they hurled insults at him. And we may well have felt that people have sworn at us or abused us or insulted us in one way or another for being a Christian. That's a very difficult experience. It can go beyond insults into ridicule and bullying and uh, being lied about, having stories told about us. It can mean at different points and different experiences, and some watching us will have gone through this, being excluded from opportunities, from situations, from social groups, from, the, uh, from employment on occasions. And in different parts of the world, it can go beyond all of that into violence. And that, obviously, is a horrendous thing. And as we look at this story, I wanted to try and explore a couple of questions. And the first is, why does this happen? Why are people, sometimes individuals, so antagonistic and against Christians? And then, how can we face that? How can we deal with that? How do we manage that? How do we stop that being a reason for actually giving up as a Christian? So why does speaking the truth about Jesus cause opposition? All this guy has done, we'll find out in a moment, is just told people that once he was blind and now he can see. What is it in our kind of context that causes people to be really angry about Christianity? Many of us will have had that moment where you talk to somebody and you, they, they're aware of you're a Christian and you find them really angry and you're thinking, whoa, what's this about? You hardly know me, I don't understand. What we experience, certainly in the West, is for me the most common reason why people are opposed to Christianity and angry with Christianity is that our faith is reminding them of past hurts and legitimate hurts. It may be that David experienced abusive Christians. That may be on a very serious level, sexual or physical abuse, or it may simply be that they've been in a context amongst Christians who have hurt and damaged them. That may have come from their own family. They may have come from parents who had forced Christianity on them. And so in one way or another, our faith is reminding them of the hurts they've experienced. And what happens is they transfer the anger or the pain that they feel towards the way Christians treated them before. They transfer that onto us. It's as if we did it. Similar to that, there are many people who have been deeply disillusioned by church. They wanted to believe, they wanted to belong, they, want, they were once part of something, but they've felt that the hypocrisy of Christians or the judgmentalism of Christians or the unkindness of Christians has caused them to be alienated. And again, us arriving or being part of their life as Christians, they project onto us that we're part of that group of people who hurt them, who uh, disappointed them, who made them unable to find the God they wanted to. They may well be people with a spiritual nature who really wanted to connect with God, but the church was to them so hurtful and difficult that they became angry and, and, and cross with God for allowing his people to do that. 
And that links into the third area of past hurts where perhaps people that we're speaking to went through a particular crisis and they cried out to God. They prayed and the prayer wasn't answered. A loved one perhaps died. Trauma perhaps happened. Suffering was felt and experienced. Very often, atheism is rooted in one of these three things, if not a combination of all three. Very often, those who are strongly atheist, very vehement in their atheism, feel angry that God has let them down. He didn't heal. He didn't rescue them. He caused, in their view, the hurt and suffering of a loved one or themselves. And so when we come along as people of faith, we tap into that really raw wound. We unwittingly reopen it. We remind them of what damage they have experienced, either from their perception of God or from the church or from Christians. And so what we're getting is a sort of involuntary impulse of hurt and anger. That's the most common experience for us in a free country in the West as to why people get angry with our faith. It's a reflection of their hurt. There are two other reasons why Christians are sometimes victimized. The second reason is that there are times in which our faith is a challenge to somebody else's worldview. In particular, our idea that God exists and that there is eternal life and that one day we will meet God and that one day we will need to answer for the things we haven't asked his forgiveness for, that is a challenge to people who want to believe that this world is all there is and there is no judgment, there is no judge, there is no obligation to be loving. Now it's really important not to confuse these two causes, the, the hurt and the challenge to the comfortable worldview. Because if we assume that people who are hurt are actually just trying to avoid facing God, then we're going to mess it up and make it even more hurtful. But there are some people who want to live self-centered lives. They want to be free from the idea that God will say, what did you do with your life? They want to live lives that are free from the idea of God saying, that was wrong. You should not have done that. They want to be free from the fear of judgment. And our coming in and saying, you know, there is a God who has certain standards and values of love and care and justice and equality and inclusion, of care for the stranger, of care for the vulnerable, of care for the weak, of care for the poor, that our living and perhaps owning up to those values is a challenge that makes them angry. Because if we turn out to be right, it completely turns on their head their safe way of living. And so they don't want to hear our voice. So they're, they're in effect, putting their hand over their ears and saying, I'm not listening, I'm not listening, I'm not listening. And that expresses itself in trying to get us to shut up, trying to remove us, trying to discredit us, trying to exclude us, even trying to harm us. So persecution 
uh, can often come from this kind of area more than the hurt. The hurt doesn't necessarily cause persecution. It just causes anger. But the deliberate persecution will come from those perhaps who want to shut us up because we are making them feel uncomfortable about the lifestyle that they have chosen to live by in the assumption that nobody will ever judge them for doing something wrong. And that links into the third reason why states and governments will punish and persecute Christians. And that's because we may threaten their unjust practices. Now this can happen in the workplace too. And there are a number of unjust practices that Christianity particularly will stand against and that will have a big uh, consequence if we are known as Christians. So Christianity threatens exploitive religions. Religions that use fear to control. Religions that inspire hatred of people who are different. And the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, of love and care for the vulnerable, for all people, uh, that God wants to welcome us without punishment and in our repentance for us to receive mercy. And that he wants to cast out all fear and all fear that controls. All of that threatens religions who work through fear. Now, that's part of what's going to happen in the story we're going to read in a moment. That Jesus threatens a religious power that is exploitative. And that is going on in countries today where the very existence of Christianity with a different voice and a different description of who God is is a threat to certain religions Linked to that, but often in atheistic cultures and secular cultures as well, is that Christianity is a threat to oppressive structures because Christianity demands justice and equality. And we see this in the Old Testament prophets who spoke out against the injustices. And Christianity, by definition, will speak out against structures that make the rich richer or that in some way discriminate and oppress people. And God calls us to follow Jesus, who was a, a challenge to the rich and the powerful. And so uh, we remember uh, one of the things that used to happen in, in, in the sort of more atheistic, communistic cultures was that the belief that uh, Christianity shouldn't exist because it spoke on behalf of the poor, and in their eyes, there was no longer any poor. And so you remove Christianity because it embarrasses, its very existence embarrassed some of the communist states. And then thirdly, that Christianity will challenge dishonest or self-centered powers, dictators who are in it just for themselves that the people of God will always challenge that. We will always make them feel uncomfortable. And so they will want to, lead, to, to dis destroy. Ego-led leadership is challenged by the personality of Jesus modeled in Christians. So if there are all these reasons why people may hate us and exclude us, why on earth should we be prepared to face opposition? 
Now, this is, in one sense, very easy for me as someone who's not experienced persecution ever in my life on any scale to, to talk about. And we need to take all of this with a pinch of salt and say, it's easy for Donald to say that. But what I observe and learn from those who've faced far more difficult situations than me is this. That when we respond with grace, when we turn the other cheek as Jesus modeled for us, when we ask God to forgive those who do not know what they are doing, when we respond with grace, when we respond with hope, when we look forward to a time in heaven when all these wrongs will be overcome, when we live by not a fear that this present life is all there is, but there is a hope that it, every tear will be wiped away and that the, the suffering and the injustices will be dealt with. When we live by that hope, and therefore we live with a perseverance that endures and overcomes and responds always with love. When we do those things, when we live as Christ lived in the face of his opposition, then we may heal those who have past hurts. And that I certainly have seen in our church life, where some people have come to faith who initially were incredibly antagonistic to the Christians who later helped them find faith. And it was the response of the Christians in the face of that ridicule and that antagonism that helped them heal the hurts that had made them angry. And that's a glorious thing, isn't it? To see a life transformed and bitterness melted and become love. But also, as we respond with grace, hope and perseverance and love, we may be able to change the worldview of some. We may challenge their life of self-centeredness. And we may bring salvation and repentance and turn people to Jesus to cry out for his mercy and care. And we will also threaten and ultimately overcome unjust practices. And Martin Luther King is a great example of that. And the way in the civil rights movement, the way Martin Luther King inspired many, many uh, people to respond to bullying and discrimination and injustice, to respond with grace, hope, perseverance and love, then they overturned what was wrong and have uh, continued to inspire change ever since. So why be prepared to face opposition? Because maybe through our response, we can change the situation. How do we do that? Well, let's look at the story. It's a man who was born blind from birth. We've looked at this in previous weeks, and we asked and talked about not looking at the why, not asking the why question, but the, the what now question. We talked in previous weeks about doing what Jesus said, and we talked about telling our story. And that's where we've got up to. And we looked in our last study about telling our story. So we read in John 9, 13 that they brought, the Pharisee, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. The Pharisees were a religious group who were very strict and very particular and very devout. They were considered people who were deeply respected because they kept so many laws and rules. They went above and beyond anybody else. But they also created a great sense of fear in others that they weren't good enough. 
Their superiority made others feel unworthy. Their religion was one of superiority. Now the day in which Jesus had made the mud, this is verse 14, and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. So he'd healed on the Sabbath. And we looked in previous studies and previous chapters at the problems that they had with Jesus healing on a Sabbath. And if you want to go back into the back catalogue, you can look at that. So therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. I, I washed and now I see. So as we face opposition, the first thing to say is to stick to what we know, just to be truthful, gentle, humble with what God has done. And remind you of our last study when we looked at trying to identify and articulate what it is that God has done in our lives, being able to see it clearly. And that's important, not to try and argue things, not to try and uh, go beyond what we know, but just to, he says, look, I washed and now I see. That's his story. And that's very disarming in the face of opposition. It's not about trying to justify or, exclude, or, or explain perhaps how Christians have behaved in the past. That's a fruitless argument. We simply say, well, this is what I know. This is what God has done in my life. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath, speaking of Jesus. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. So the, the next thing is not to be surprised when some people respond to us with interest and joy and others with anger and resentment and suspicion. So it's important to <clears throat> try and be as um, prepared for that as possible, not to worry that some people will turn against us and we think, I don't know what I've done. I don't know why they react in that way. It goes back to those kind of hurts that may be in their lives. So they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. And the man replied, he is a prophet. Now we know that Jesus wasn't actually a prophet. He was the son of God. So, but that doesn't seem to matter in the story because he's simply being honest about his understanding. So the next thing is in our facing opposition is to not worry about not knowing the right answers. His answer wasn't really the right answer. But it was his understanding and his perspective at that moment. And when people come up with all kinds of difficult questions and difficult problems and we think, oh gosh, I don't know how to explain that, it doesn't matter Stick to what we know. Don't worry about what we don't know. They still did not believe that he'd been blind. This is verse 18. And had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? They said, we know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind. So they know that bit, but they're not able to explain the rest. So don't rely on others necessarily to speak up for us. The parents didn't really come to his defense. They couldn't really uh, get everything right for him. So don't rely. We can't always rely on other people, but we do need to make sure our transformation is visible. They could see that once he was blind, and now he could see. So we need to ensure that what God has done in our life is visible, but not be too perturbed if some people still don't see it. 
They said, how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age, he will speak for himself. And that's quite a good thing, not to try and answer other people's stories. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And so this is this thing about not being worried if others don't stick up for us. Some people will be afraid of the persecution and the opposition we're receiving. And we can't blame them, we can't judge them for that. We just accept that that may be the situation. That may be because they don't have the strength that we believe Jesus is giving us. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Now this was because to acknowledge Jesus as the Messiah threatened their way of religion. It threatened the control they had. It threatened the fear they were using. So on that account, his parents, verse 23, said, he is of age, ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been born blind. Give glory to God and tell the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Now that's a very clever, manipulative statement, isn't it? Give glory and tell the truth. Anybody wants to give God glory and everybody wants to tell the truth. But what they mean is, Say what we want and that will there be, therefore be the definition of glorifying God and telling the truth. The problem was that the say what they want wasn't true and therefore couldn't glorify God. And we will find ourselves in situations where people manipulate our words. And they use all kinds of clever arguments and they make us feel guilty in, what, in our following of Jesus but we need to stick to what he's done and not feel guilty and recognize the games that clever people play around us and he replied whether he is a sinner or not I don't know one thing I do know I was blind but now I see now we recognize this become a great verse used in so many of our songs and hymns, isn't it? It's a great statement. He says, look, I can't answer all your clever arguments. I'm not going to be fooled by the guilt or the fear that you're trying to place in me. I'm just going to stick to what I know this man has done. I was blind, now I see. I'm not going to lie on that. I'm not going to pretend that isn't happened. I'm not going to be intimidated by your fear. And they asked him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered, I've told you already. Did you not listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Now, I love this. This is a joke. This is the guy pulling their legs. And he's pushing back. He's challenging them. He's saying, your minds are closed. You're not listening to me. And there is an element of him trying to get them to rethink And this was the final straw. They don't think that was funny. Then they hurled insults at him. This is a verse we've used as the theme of this talk. You are his fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he is from. The man answered, that's remarkable now. You don't know where he has come from, yet he opened my eyes. We know, he says, that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. 
Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. He's basically saying, look, whatever your story is, it's not convincing because this guy healed me and he could only heal me if God was at work in him. To this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. Remember, the very beginning of this story, Jesus said he was not sinful. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. He was excluded. He was persecuted. And as we think about this, how do we learn? What can we do to respond to opposition? We stick to our story. We ignore manipulation. And we act with grace, with hope, with perseverance and with love. And then the New Testament and Jesus says on a number of occasions, pray for those who persecute us. We pray for those who oppose us. We pray for those whose hurt has caused them to react in this way. We pray for those whose self-centeredness is causing them to feel threatened by us. We pray that God would change them. So whether it's at work or in our families or amongst uh, a community involvement or even in our nation, we stick to our story. We ignore the manipulation. We act with grace, hope, perseverance and love and we pray. And the final part of this story I want to draw to your attention. Jesus heard. Isn't that fantastic? Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and he found him. When he found him, he hears and he goes to look. And he said to him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me that I may believe in him. Jesus said, and you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. And we asked the question, how can we be prepared to face opposition? We talked about changing situations. But the final thing I want to say is this, that Jesus seeks out, comes to, draws close to those who are persecuted. He will come to us. He will give us the words to say, but he will come with strength and a peace that passes all understanding. He hears our cries and he seeks us out. He goes to look for the man who's been thrown out on his account. He doesn't abandon him. He doesn't leave him. He looks for him. So, questions for reflection before we pray together. Who do we know who has been hurt by faith and who we just sense that hurt is being kicked back at us. And how can we pray for them? Who do we know who are making decisions against God that we might challenge with our life? Who do we know is living a life of, that's reckless in the assumption that they can get away with it? That maybe if we live alongside them a life that's of more integrity and as God intends, we might challenge them by our life to seek salvation. And where are their unjust practices? In the workplace, perhaps, or in our nation that we are called to stand against, whatever the cost that we might see transformation as Martin Luther King did. So how can our reaction change 
these situations. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for those who are watching or listening who experience opposition, in, insults or ridicule or deliberate lying or exclusion or even violence. Lord, will you strengthen them? May they know you with them. Will you help them to respond with grace and hope and perseverance and love? And may you use their response to transform and save those who are persecuting them. Father, as we pray, we pray together this particular prayer that I've, I've put there. You may want to join with me in praying this prayer if you're watching the video. Or join with me at home. Lord, I crave the approval of others and I don't like standing out in the crowd. Yet you want me to be true and honest. Give me grace to pray for and stand by people who are mocked because of their faith. If we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Remember that the Apostle Paul was converted having been a persecutor, as you pray for those who seem to hate you, pray with faith that they may come to faith. May God strengthen us as we resist and persevere. Amen.